Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for tuning in today. I am well aware that today is uh, September 11th, the 22nd anniversary of the attack on our country. We chatted about that a little bit earlier in the in the program. But tomorrow is September the 12th, which is the release date for Greg Kokel's new book, Street Smarts, using questions to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. I don't know how I get so lucky to get him for a full hour the night before his book is released. But I'm glad that I have you. Greg, welcome. Hey, Bill. It's always a treat to, to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Well, I appreciate that. And I'm very excited about uh, this book because this, this, is, <laughs> this is in my wheelhouse. This is the kind of stuff that I can't get enough of. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And uh, unfortunately, it's not true for a lot of people. Uh, and they suffer as a result. And I don't mean get enough of my stuff. That's not it. it get enough of reasons for... Um, believing, trusting, being convinced that Christianity is actually true, that the Christian take on the world, which is Jesus' own take on the world, is accurate, it's a fact, and then having the ability to engage people with the challenges that they're facing, uh, Christians are facing right now in the culture, which are amazing, you know this. And so uh, this is why I'm really glad we get get to talk about this new book, Street Smarts. Now, Greg, when we talk about street smarts and the word street, let's just break that one down because uh, you okay. do say in your book that uh, in general, the street is anywhere you feel vulnerable or a That's little right. bit out of your element or exposed to danger. Right, right. Well, if you think of it in a, you know, like in the city, I, I'm in LA, so you got South Central and and that's <laughs> mm-hmm. scary, right? Yes, you know, you don't get out of your car, lock the door. You don't even go there if you yeah. can avoid it. Because there's danger lurking in the shadows, and sometimes it's not just in the shadows. So I'm using that kind of as a metaphor for Christians who are are out of their element. And um, and that's more and more the case now because the challenges in the culture are so intense in many cases that we just feel very, very vulnerable getting involved in any conversation that touches on the theological, spiritual truth of Christianity or the ethical elements, the ethical views that follow naturally from a Christian worldview. And now that has to do with, with the abortion question, it has to do with all kinds of sexuality issues and gender mm-hmm. and the like. And all of these things are coming under attack now by the culture in a very vigorous way. And so Christians, they, you know, they might have conversations with their friends, no trouble. You know, their coworkers, their students, professors, even family members, until it touches on some of these issues that are vital, that are the most important issues we could ever talk about. And then, you know, them's fighting words. And so yeah. because the hostility is so great, they sit on the bench and they don't get involved. And that's why I wrote Street Smarts to give them the street smarts that they need to be able to maneuver effectively. I mean, when you think about South Central, for example, uh, the people who are comfortable walking around in South Central are like MA fi- MMA fighters, right? Or the Kung Fu guys <laughs> right. or, or people who are packing heat, right? Yeah, they got right. a weapon. In other words, they are prepared 
for the circumstances. And when they are prepared, then the the fear level, the anxiety level diminishes greatly. And we're called to go into the darkness of the street and bring light. But if we haven't been prepared adequately, then it we're, we're not going to do well, especially with this culture. And this is why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Greg Kokel is my guest. His book is called Street Smarts. It comes out tomorrow. That's right. But you can hmm. also uh, go to Amazon tonight and get a uh, sample copy if you wanted to. But in this book, Greg, and this is the, what I love that you're doing with this, is you're, you're, you're starting to help ask the kinds of questions that can dismantle people's uh, wrong views about God. I think this That's is masterful right. because yeah, I, think- I talked about this, I think a couple of weeks ago where I remember getting a golf lesson a long, long time ago and I thought I had a pretty good swing and, and the golf instructor completely messed my <laughs> swing up, you know, completely. Sure. But, you know, there's so many things we have to unlearn because we've learned things incorrectly. So if we have a strategic way like your book to help people feel equipped to ask the right kind of questions to dismantle mm-hmm. the wrong information, we're going to make a lot of progress. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a good illustration about unlearning a wrong thing, because a big part of what I start out with, the book's in two parts. And uh, for those who are familiar with the tactics book that came before it, and many of your listeners may be interested in that or may be familiar with that, this is like the third step of the tactical game plan on steroids, where you're not just gathering information using questions, you are using questions to disarm the other person in a certain sense to show a weakness in their own particular view or else to deflect a challenge to Christianity. And in the book, I cover lots of different areas. Uh, I have two chapters on atheism. I have a chapter on the problem of evil. I have two chapters on abortion. I have two chapters on the Bible, one the Bible and science, and the other one are challenges to the Bible that people raise, like slavery and uh, alleged genocide in the Bible. I have uh, a whole chapter on gender, sex, and marriage. You know, These are all the kinds of things that people on Jesus, I have two chapters on Jesus, Jesus being the only way and Jesus being the Son of God and related challenges. And so um, all of these are the things that are kind of the hot button issues in the culture today regarding Christians making sense of their own convictions in a world that believes very differently. And like I said, we're sent out into that world to um, to, to make a difference there, and to be salt and light. Let me give you the definition here of what I mean by street smarts. Uh, street smarts is the ability to see the flaws in someone else's viewpoint, or maybe in their challenge, um, that they make to the Christian's own viewpoint, and also not just to see the flaws, but to, in a relaxed manner, maneuver shrewdly to expose the flaw or to neutralize the challenge in the process, and hopefully that moving someone closer to the kingdom. So I'm not looking for people to close the deal here. And if you, you know, you know, if you read, I think you read the track, we've talked about tactics in the oh, yeah. past, I think, oh, yeah. on the show. And uh, I actually have a whole chapter in the new book here, Street Smarts, where I really expand on this com- concept of gardening, um, gardening as opposed to harvesting. Our evangelism methods are mostly harvesting methods. Here's the tract, here's the prayer, pray the prayer, sign on the dotted line, close the deal. Okay, that's harvesting. But there can't be a harvest unless we've had a season of gardening in somebody's life. You can't have the harvest unless there's the gardening that comes first, that Jesus called it the sowing 
and the reaping seasons there in John chapter 4. But the problem is we haven't been given gardening tools. Now, I'm convinced, and this is amazing what's happened. The last five talks I've had with five different audiences on this issue, and I'd say, that's five presentations in the last two and a half weeks, okay, different audiences. And um, and I've asked them this question, how many here became Christians by praying the sinner's prayer or coming forward at an altar call? Um, oh, let me back up. I actually ask it in the negative. How many did not become Christians by saying the sinner's prayer or coming forward in an altar call? The first two audiences, large audiences, one-third of the people raise their hands. And the next two audiences, almost every single person, I'd say 90% of the people raise their hands. In other words, they weren't led to Christ by anyone. They became Christians, but it was the Holy Spirit that harvested them, mm. so to speak. And that's true in my own life. Um, and, and, and a whole bunch of people I know, but there were other people in their life that were gardening, 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 gardening. And when you look in the New Testament, there are no altar calls in the New Testament, no altar calls in the book of Acts. Nobody's challenged to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, I'm not against that, but I think that what's happened, Bill, is we we kind of have this conception in our mind of a received tradition, so to speak, that it's got to happen this particular way. This is evangelism. And if we don't, if we're not praying with people to receive Christ, then we're either not doing our evangelism right, or 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 we're just basically evangelism losers. You know, we just we're not doing it correctly. We had to learn the right way, or we're just basically losers. And I tell audiences, and this really may shock some of your listeners, considering what I've been doing for the last forty-five years. Th- we just had our thirty-year anniversary of Stand to Reason, by the way. So we're really excited about that. But I was doing a lot of this stuff for many years before we started Stand to Reason three decades ago. But here's what may surprise them: I have not prayed with someone to receive Christ in over thirty years. And I know what people are thinking: what a loser, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, because they're thinking in this way, but I have I, I have never had such a such a, a great impact for the cause of Christ as I have had the last thirty years. Because what I've focused in on is gardening, not harvesting. Mm-hmm. And when when I try to explain that idea to people, and then give them the gardening tools, and that's that's what the tactical game plan is for, and especially the new book, Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. That's what all that is meant to do, is to give them those tools that will help them to garden effectively without having to worry about pressing someone to pray to receive Christ. You know, mm-hmm. And this is why a lot of people aren't in play, bro. Bill. You know this. They're sitting on the bench because they, they, they're scared to go there. And what I'm saying is you don't need to go there because it's not the New Testament pattern. Mm-hmm. Greg Kokel is my guest. His new book is called Street Smarts. It comes out tomorrow. In, a bo- mm-hmm. in the book, it says, the goal, of course, is to help nonbelievers see what's true so they can move closer to embracing Christ and the forgiveness only he can provide. We're going to take a little break. If you have a question or comment, let me know what it is. I'll ask Greg on your behalf, 877-933-2484. Again, the book is called Street Smarts, and Greg spells his last name, K-O-U-K-L. Be right back. Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LeBurge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. 
Search Mornings with Carmen LeBurge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. Welcome to the show from Greg Kokel's new book. He said, your task is to present the truth as clearly, as graciously, as persuasively, and as faithfully as you can. That part is 100% your responsibility. This is where Street Smarts will help you. All the rest is up to God, 100%. You do the talking, God does the persuading. Simple. I like your strategy, Greg. Thank you. I like it too. It's, it's, <laughs> it, uh, takes, uh, it puts the pressure, the proper pressure on the proper people, persons, I should say. Uh, we have our job to do. God has his job to do. We can always count on him to do his job. And I think his job is closing the deal. Mm -hmm. Our job is to make the presentation. And as I was suggesting before, we don't even need to worry about closing the deal. By the way, I did say something that was very controversial, I guess, for many people, that I haven't prayed with someone to receive Christ in over 30 years. And um, I don't know if you've had Jay Warner Wallace on the show, but a lot of people know who he is, okay? The cold haste detective who was an atheist and applied his detective skills to the gospel and became a Christian, then became a Christian apologist, then a Christian author with a best-selling Cold Case Christianity, which just came out in its 10-year anniversary edition last week. I highly recommend it. But what a lot of people don't know about Jay Warner Wallace is that Jim was in my garden when he was an atheist. Now, I didn't lead him to Christ. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of other people tell me this. I, I got a guy on my own staff who's a who was an atheist, now he's a Christian. He didn't even know what his spiritual birthday was. But he was also in my garden when he was an atheist, and now he's a apologi- full-time apologetic speaker. Okay, the point point being here is you don't have to be the person who lead lead leads the other person to Christ to be making a difference. You know, Jim was in my garden. John Noyes was in my garden. Uh, the the former Muslim uh, Abdul Murray, who oh, now wow. is a Christian. Yeah. Yeah, he was in my garden too as a Muslim, and um, and it just goes to show that if you if you focus on the gardening, it it's almost as if the harvesting takes care of itself. And so I I if I can in a sense take the burden of that off somebody's shoulder, a Christian's shoulder, you've got to try to lead to lead that person to Christ. That's going to keep them out of play. If I can lower the bar, so to speak, and say, as I did in my my in the tactics book, and I repeat the concept in street smarts, don't worry about swinging for the fences. Just try to get them thinking. Mm-hmm. The way I put it is, put a stone in their shoe. You know, <laughs> try to annoy them in a good way, and uh, and if you can get get them thinking about stuff, fine. Just let it sit there. Get them thinking, and this is what the the dialogues in street smarts that I've constructed it are meant to do. Because in each area, um, well, look, when you think about using questions, first gathering kinds of information, like what their view is and why they hold it, that's easy because you're, you're not a, you're vulnerable at all. And I go into a lot of detail in a tactics book in that, but I do review it in Street Smarts. So it's a standalone title. You can just get the Street Smarts and you, you can get rocking and rolling, even though the tactics book has a lot of stuff that the other ones, that the new one doesn't have. But the third step is to use questions. We're always using questions. Now I call it the Columbo tactic, like the infamous Lieutenant Columbo of TV fame. You know, I, I, I always using questions, but we're going to use them to show a weakness or a flaw in somebody else's challenge. Now, of course, the speed bump is, first of all, you have to know the challenge. Yeah, I'm sorry, you have to know the, the flaw in the challenge. When they give the challenge, you've got to know what's wrong with it. 
And so I have a whole section of each chapter dealing with these different issues showing here are the flaws in atheism, for example, or here are the flaws in the pro-choice view. Here are the flaws of saying that Jesus is only the Son of God, not really God, or the flaws in saying that Jesus is not the Savior of the whole world. He's a great teacher, but he's not everybody's Savior like you Christians, you bigoted Christians say, etc., etc., etc. So I show in each chapter the flaws of each of the areas that I deal with. But once you know the flaws, now what? Well, you can, in a sense, proclaim it to the person who is challenging you and say, here's why you're wrong in your atheism, because here's the evidence for God's existence. Okay, that works, kind of, but it's inelegant. It's not shrewd. It's not tactfully clever. And what I teach in the book is the kinds of questions that you can use to get step-by-step to the to the conclusion that you want to get to. Let, do, is it okay if I give an example oh, of that? please do. I practically insist. Okay, let's just say the um, you're talking to an atheist who says, uh, well, there's, there's, uh, there's no evidence for God or something like that, you know, and a lot of people, atheists will say that. And so I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? No, go ahead. Okay, that's the cue right there. My whole game plan is based on questions. And so I said, there's a couple of questions here. They're fairly simple. Okay, but just follow along with me. Okay, sure. Here's the first question. Do you believe that things exist? Yes, of course I believe that. Yeah, me too. Okay, great. First piece in place. Secondly, the things that exist, have they always existed? Okay, so now this is a question about the eternality of the universe, essentially. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody that believes the universe is eternal. Christians don't believe it's eternal. God created it. And non-Christians don't think it was eternal either. They think it came into existence at the Big Bang. Now, I know this is uncomfortable for some Christians, but uh, I'm just suggesting don't worry about Big Bang right now. Just remember that all the Big Bang amounts to at this point is their conviction of the beginning of the universe. And this is all we need here. So he said, yeah, yes, the universe is not eternal. It came into existence at the Big Bang. Okay, great. I'm with you. I think the universe came into existence too. Notice, by the way, uh, stepping aside from my role play, uh, Bill, I've already asked two simple questions and I've got answers that I agree with both of them and they're common sense answers. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay. Then I say, here's the third question. And this is the one that really matters. What caused everything to come into existence. And then I say, and it's I'll make it easy on you. You only have one of two choices. Either something caused it or no thing caused it. Now, of course, the atheist doesn't want to say something caused it because that's something out of the natural universe, which mm -hmm. he doesn't believe in. But the only alternative is to say that the universe popped into existence with no cause, for no reason, and with no purpose. I mean, that's worse than magic. Yeah. And the issue here that I'm trying to show, uh, Bill, is not that I'm trying to prove God exists. What I'm trying to show is he's the, that God is the best explanation. He's the odds-on favorite. So who's going to say, and really, you know, being intellectually fair, remember, this is the rational crowd, you know, the atheists, the bright people, right? They call themselves. Um, who's going to say the odds on favorite is everything popped into existence out of nothing? No, the odds on favorite is something outside the universe caused the universe. Okay, that's the odds on favorite. And so that's all I'm trying to argue for. And then I leave it set. 
I just say, okay, there, there's something you can think about. There's a reason to believe that God actually exists. Now, you probably recognize this, Bill, and some of your listeners as a cosmological argument for the existence of God. It's an argument for God based on the beginning of the cosmos, okay? But there's another argument too. It's called the teleological argument, that that the design in the universe. And so here's another sample conversation. And by the way, these are all in the book. And notice that I'm using questions to to get to 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 move forward. Um, and let me before I give you the next illustration, um, notice that in the first case, I was not stating the things myself that led to my conclusion. Well, things exist, and things haven't always exist. They came into existence sometime in the past. In the past, therefore, something had to cause that, and therefore, the thing that caused it was God. Now, that's basically the argument. But if I had put it that way, Bill, at every single juncture, (laughs) the skeptic could have interrupted me and disagreed with me, and then we're going nowhere. So instead of me putting the pieces on the table that he can take exception with, I ask a question that gets him to put the pieces on the table. Mm, So smart. Then, yeah, he's not going to take them off the table. He put them there. Yeah. until, Until the final thing, okay, what caused it? Something or nothing. That's what you're left with. Yeah. You tell me what makes most sense. And so the same thing in this this next illustration, and indeed in all of the examples that I have in the book, and for each area, I have multiple dialogues, your initial questions, your secondary questions that help move you along. And they're all common sense questions regarding all of these issues, which kind of presume a certain answer that the person is going to give without realizing that they are helping you with the argument that defeats their view. And the reason this is effective is not because it's manipulative, because it's not. It's because their view is false and our view is true. And we're showing the reasons why and doing it in a way that they can't intervene, so to speak, and take exception with it. And I think we only got about two minutes. Let me go really quickly. When somebody says there's no evidence for God, I could say, well, let me ask you a question. If you saw a shoe print in the sand on the beach, what would you conclude? Well, somebody had been walking there. Right. A person wearing shoes. Yeah, that's right. Would you be tempted to think it was a freak accident of nature? You know, seashell, sand, surf, all of that rolling around together, creating an impression that looked like a shoe print, but wasn't? No, that wouldn't make sense. Well, why wouldn't that make sense? Well, because nature can't do that. And there's a better explanation. What's that? Somebody walking into the, on the sand. Okay. And I give an illustration of a blueprint. If they saw a blueprint, would they have the same response? No, they wouldn't think that happened by accident. People make blueprints. Okay, what about, final question now, what about the human body and the DNA blueprint? Oh, that evolved by chance. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Think about what you just said. Notice how I've led them to this point now where their response sounds foolish in light of their common sense observations about clearly designed things. Mm -hmm. And the body is clearly designed. Oh, so good. Greg Kokel is my guest. His book is called Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. Book comes out tomorrow. So glad to have him today. If you have a question or comment, let me know. 877-933-2484. Be right back with Greg.
afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. So glad to be with Greg Kokel today. His new book, Street Smarts, is coming out tomorrow. It's got some awfully nice ringing endorsements from people like Frank Turek, Nancy Piercy, Lee Strobel, Elisa Childers, John Stone Street. It goes on and on. This is a book you want in your library. Using questions to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. And uh, Greg, when I uh, think of your strategy, uh, all I do is want to stand up and cheer because... When you, well, no, when when you have people put their answers on the table, then they got to deal with answers they put down on the table. That's right. You know, but the I, I, I emphasized something um, a few moments ago, and I, I think it's worth uh, underscoring, and that is, um, it really helps when you have the truth. Uh, the <laughs> the views that people hold contrary to Christianity are just false, and they can be demonstrated to be false. The evidence is very, very powerful for Christianity, and the answers to the challenges, regardless of the challenge, I, I have some of the most popular ones in the book that people are going to be facing, but we have a very deep bench in Christianity, and we have people that have really done the deep dive on all kinds of issues and come up with great responses. Now, I've drawn on that in my own life as a, a Christian and a Christian speaker and worker and writer. And uh, and so th- th- I've included a lot of that in the book. In addition to my own experience, I'm talking to more than 90 university uh, campuses, both here and in other parts of the world. And so um, I've kind of been around the block a few times, and I know that these challenges that we face, though sometimes rhetorically they sound compelling, they turn out to be usually quite shallow. And if you can see the problems, then we can expose those problems, but do it shrewdly with questions. Uh, And so it's not always easy to see the problems for the in a sense, the uninitiated or the, uh, the the untrained. And so this is what I do in this book is help people to see the problems. And I think once you see the problems, it becomes really obvious um, which side actually supports the truth, which point of view supports the truth. Incidentally, tomorrow is the release date on Tuesday, but they can order it right away and mm-hmm. it will be shipped tomorrow. So they won't on, on Amazon, I'm thinking Three, right yeah. now. So there won't be any delay on them getting the book. They'll get it right out tomorrow. So uh, thanks for mentioning that, by of the way. Of course. So when you say in your book in Chapter 3, how questions keep you safe, I'd love for you mm-hmm. to talk more about that. Yeah, sure. Um, part of the reason that people don't Christians don't go out into the street is because they're scared. And I get that. Um, and in Matthew Chapter 10, Jesus uh, told the disciples when he was sending them out in their first missionary journey, do not fear three times inside of seven sentences. In uh, what Acts 16 or thereabouts, Paul is in Corinth. His knees are knocking so badly, really, that Jesus has to appear to him in a vision and say, don't be afraid any longer. Mm-hmm. And now why were they afraid? Because there's something to be afraid about, all right? There's challenges out there. And this is why I adopt the questioning approach to all of my engagements with people. Never use a question. Here's a basic rule. Never use never use a statement, rather, when a question will can be substituted. All right. And why is that? And as you mentioned, the chapter questions keep you safe. First of all, when you're asking questions, you're not making statements. The only time you're vulnerable 
to others' challenges is when you're making a statement about something that you say is true, and then they could say, why should I believe that? Mm -hmm. Or here are the reasons why I think it's not true. But if instead you're asking questions about their own view, what do you mean by what you said? You said you're an atheist. What kind of atheist are you? Okay, lots of different types of atheists. Uh, when you say that it's it's irrational to believe in God, what 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 do you mean it's irrational? What is irrational about believing in God? So you're tossing the ball back in their court. Once you get a clear idea of what they believe, then you want to know why they believe what they've just said they believe, contrary to your view, to the Christian view. And so now, again, it's a different kind of question. And and now you're kind of very politely asking them to defend their own view by giving reasons for their view. Mm-hmm. Notice, when you are asking questions like this, you are not taking any risk on yourself. Now, I know some people who especially are chomping at the bit with apologetics and all of that and strong harvester types, they say, well, I want to get out there and I want to preach the gospel and everything. Okay, go do it. I'm just saying that when you do, you're going to really make yourself vulnerable. Then there's a way to proceed where you don't have that vulnerability. If you learn to gently and calmly and in a relaxed manner, ask questions and you ask the right questions, that's what the book is about. You will be able to maneuver very safely and make an impact even though you're not taking any risk on yourself. Mm-hmm. And so questions keep you safe in that regard. They also help you to initiate conversations, you know, and find out more about the other person. Yeah. I know a, g- a guy I was sitting next to on the airplane, his name was John. And he said, uh, it, as, as I'm just drawing him out with questions, I find out he's not a Christian. He used to be a Christian. He used to be a preacher's kid, but his dad's no longer a preacher and his dad's no longer a Christian. Wow. Okay, this adds up to you know it, right? Big trouble. You got some valuable just, intel right there too, Greg. Absolutely. And had I just kind of waltzed into that conversation, talking about how God loved him and had a plan for his life, you know, he would have said, been there, done that, mm-hmm. and it hurt. But see, I got valuable information, intel as you put it, so that I wasn't waltzing into a minefield, Right. you know? <laughs> That's another right. way that yeah. that uh, the questions keep you safe. So there's more on that issue in the book and how questions keep you safe. But uh, suffice to say, it is the most productive way to engage in conversations that are controversial. Use questions. Yeah. And Street Smarts teaches you how to do that with very specific issues. And Greg, not to mention this conversation you're having with this uh, preacher's kid on the mm-hmm. plane uh, is you're proving to be a more interesting conversationalist as well. <laughs> That's right. Well, it's kind of ironic because people think if you're using questions, people think you're a good conversationalist, <laughs> but they're doing most of the talking, right? Right, right. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Now, you've made a comment earlier in the show about you have n- never prayed with anybody in the last 30 years to receive Christ. So I, I want to stay focused on the book Street Smarts, but I also want to just get off this just for a second and ask you a couple of questions. Sure. Let's say I say, Greg, I want you to come speak to 4,000 guys. It's a men's event, and it's going to be evangelistic outreach. You're going to come crush it. And at the end, would you do an invitation? What would you say? Yeah, I would do it, but I I would do it my way. Okay, so um, uh, you're in Minnesota. Are you in Minneapolis area? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. We got a big event coming up there in November. Yeah, at Grace Church. On the 10th and 11th. Yeah. Yeah, the reality... uh, a student apologetics conference, uh-huh. and we had 
3,800 people there at Grace Church Eden Prairie last year. So just a shout out to that. But when I was there, I was the one who closed the event. And and I told I, I just told people, I said, uh, the way I said it was that it's, um, I, I said that, uh, you, you know, some of you got dragged here. And, you know, you didn't want to be here. But when you were here, you learned something that you hadn't heard before. And now you're thinking hard about it. And now you realize we're not just making this up. We have reasons for it, that Jesus was who he claimed to be. And now you've got a decision to make. You realize that you've broken God's law. You know that. That's why you feel guilty, because you are guilty. Okay, now what? Here's the deal. At the end of the age, you're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to be the judge. And either he pays for your sins or you pay for your sins. Either he pays or you pays. That's the calculus. Mm -hmm. So what's it going to be? And if I were you, I'd go back to the hotel tonight. I get down on my knees, beat my breast and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then get up and follow Jesus for the rest of your life and don't quit. So that that's what I told them. That's my altar call. I gave them the gospel. I told them what they need to do. I didn't ask for people to close their eyes. So in every head bowed and every eye closed and somebody to stick his hand up in the air, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. No, I, I'm just leaving it up to the Holy Spirit to do that. And anyway, I don't like the idea of people indicating they're believing in Christ while nobody's looking. Really? But that's the standard. So I'll, I will do that if they ask me to, but I'm going to do it my way. Mm -hmm. So let's look at two sides of a coin. Because I do hear people talking about, I, I don't want people to, uh, I don't want to talk to them about having a, a born again experience or a born from above experience. Although Jesus talks about that very specifically in John 3. Right. The, the trend now is I just want you to follow Jesus. And I remember hearing in the last month, a pastor who is uh, very progressive and he said uh, in an interview, he goes, well, I don't believe in hell anymore. Um, and I've I've given that all that up, but I just tell people to follow Jesus, and 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 I want to say that that your your gay lifestyle is holy, and that God blesses that. And mm -hmm. I just want to say because if somebody just tuned in, this is not me talking. This is a another pastor I heard on the internet, right, right, and he was right. basically saying, I just follow Jesus, and I go, okay, well, to somebody who's uninformed and doesn't know the truth, what's wrong with that pastor's recommendation? Where's the where's the born again experience? Where's the repent and be saved sure. experience? Well, there's there's a whole lot that could I could respond to in what you just said. I'd have a lot of questions for clarification's sake. But first of all, the concept of born again is, is this is regeneration, okay? But it's only spoken of one time. Jesus talks to the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, in John three about being born again. But you don't see a repetition of that language. So. I don't think you have to repeat that language in your communication to get people born again. Um, I agree. When the, yeah. So, so yes, so we want people to believe in Jesus. Okay. But what I don't want is like an easy decision. I want believing in Jesus means, well, the disciples were called the, the consistently Christians in the book of Acts were called disciples. Those are followers of Jesus. Now, what's interesting about the pastor who says, I, I just want to follow Jesus. Well, you've got to follow the Jesus of the gospels, right. you know? Exactly. And, and this Jesus then had some opinions about marriage. Matthew 19, one man with one woman becoming one flesh, that's sex, for one lifetime. That's Jesus' opinion. That covers all the bases. That leaves homosexual same-sex marriage out. 
It leaves homosexuality out and heterosexual sex outside of marriage, whether adultery or fornication, and bestiality out. All the four things that the Bible excludes, Jesus covers it right there. So if you're going to really follow Jesus, you got to follow Jesus. Oh, incidentally, did Jesus believe in that hell stuff? Absolutely. He talked about it frequently. Wailing and gnashing of teeth, you know, outer darkness and all that other stuff, sheep and goats. Depart from you who work iniquity. I never knew you. Okay. If Jesus believed in hell and we are followers of Jesus, then we believe in hell too, just the way Jesus did. So the way I would put that to this pastor is when you say you follow Jesus, what does that mean? I think he's going to give us a totally distorted understanding of Jesus. Oh, Jesus is all about love and acceptance and helping the poor, blah, blah, blah. This is completely false. Mm -hmm. I wrote an article two years ago. It's on our website, str.org. It's called The the Legend of the Social Justice Jesus. There is nothing in the Gospels. I read every word of every Gospel regarding this issue that indicates that. Instead, Jesus said he had a different mission, and so did everybody else close to him. And, uh, and, And if we are going to be followers of Jesus, we don't follow a social justice Jesus. We follow Emmanuel. God with us, Mm -hmm. the one who came to save people from their sins, to seek and save that which was lost. That's the Jesus we follow. So properly understood, and I'd be asking all kinds of questions of this pastor to get all these facts out on the table. Um, If we are going to be followers of Jesus, that's the Jesus that we follow. And when I want people to follow Jesus, that's the Jesus I want them to follow, not the progressive Christianity Jesus or the LDS Jesus or the Muslim Jesus, or the New Age Jesus, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But there is going to be- got me fired up there, Bill. Well, I know. I got a little far- fired up too, but there's a lot of people that <laughs> will be deceived by somebody who is making these claims and saying, I am a follower of Jesus and I encourage you to, to be one as well. And yet they don't speak of the Jesus of the Bible. That's right. You cannot be a follower of Jesus, an actual follower of Jesus, unless you're a student of the Gospels, period. Amen. Yeah. End of issue. Yeah. Full stop. Mm-hmm. So you become a Christian, you start reading your New Testament, and especially read the Gospels. And yeah. uh, and also the disciples' characterization of Jesus, because they gave more information since Jesus trained them to carry on after him. Mm-hmm. Greg Kokel is my guest. His book, Street Smarts, helps Christians better engage in productive conversations with those who challenge their convictions on a variety of issues. It's really a wonderful follow-up book to his best-selling book called Tactics. And it's a, it's a wonderful book. comes out tomorrow. You can go learn about it right now at Amazon.com. Check it out, Street Smarts, using questions to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. If you have a question or comment for Greg, let me know, 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting myfaithradio.com. So glad to be have having Greg Kokel on the show today. He's got a lot of work coming up in the next couple of days because his brand new book comes out tomorrow called Street Smarts, and you need to check it out, get a copy. Greg, let's talk about the street's invisible battlefield. 
Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've done a lot of work on thinking about what we're up against. And as Paul famously says in Ephesians 6, uh, our, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but uh, uh, against uh, spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And therefore, we're supposed to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And I began to think about how is it that the devil operates in the world? And actually, the New Testament is quite clear on this. And uh, in in um, Revelations 12, excuse me, I think verse 9, it says that the whole world, um, that the devil deceives the whole world, all right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that he has blinded the eyes of the non-believers. In uh, first, let's make that Second Peter chapter 2, uh, I'm sorry, Second Timothy chapter 2, it says that he has held the, the world captive to do his will. And then finally, in First John chapter 5, it says the whole world lies in his power. Okay. And so, I mean, that's pretty ominous. Mm-hmm. The world is blinded by the lies of the devil. In other words, when it comes to the truth, they can't see the truth because the devil has, in all of these ways that the New Testament describes, has held them captive, blinded them, controls them, right? Now, they're cooperating because they don't love truth. I just read it this morning in Second Thessalonians that they're not lovers of truth, and this is why the deluding influence can get a hold of them. Okay, now we have to keep this in mind when we're going out talking to people, and this is why dependence on the Holy Spirit to do the work is so critical because our efforts cannot overcome that. But when Paul talks in Ephesians 6 about schemes, that means there are like machinations or plans that he has. And I got to thinking about that. And given the fact that his he has blinded people, he's the author of lies, he 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 traffics in lies, he's blinded people. We are going to be able to see things that the rest of the world does not see. But it's plain as day. I mean, look, to say that men can menstruate, men can have babies, this is obviously false, right? Mm -hmm. But there's lots of people who believe that. It's totally upside down. Or that um, Islam is a peaceful religion. A lot of people believe that. Oh, Islam means peace. No, it doesn't. It means submission. How do they get that in their head? Mm -hmm. Because people, there's been a lie going around that they buy. And if they just, if their eyes were truly open, and in either of those cases, they'd see that this is manifestly false, but their eyes aren't open. So the, what I describe there in that chapter is help people to see what they're up against on the street, spiritually speaking, okay? People are falling for lies and they don't see that they're lies. And we know it's a scheme because to the person whose eyes is open, when they come up to a ditch, they're not going to fall in it. They're going to walk around it. But a blind person walking up to a ditch, they're going to keep going and fall right into the ditch because they don't see what the person who sees sees. Mm-hmm. And and this is this is a, a, a tell or an indicator of a scheme. And that's what I talk about in that chapter. So we see all of this stuff going on about about uh, about gender, for example. This is a scheme of the devil. These things are everything is topsy turvy, upside down. Why don't people see this? Yeah, because they're blinded. Yeah. That's a place where the devil has doubled down. That's important to him, so it should be important to us. And this is maybe where we need to double down too and focus on bringing the truth into that darkness and then seeing what God would do.
So that's kind of a thumbnail sketch of the spiritual battle that we're up against. Mm-hmm. Pretty tough. Yeah, it is. Greg Kolko is my guest. Street Smarts is the name of his new book coming out tomorrow, but you can pre-order it tonight. Um, Greg, let's talk in the last uh, six minutes or so that we have about sure. chapter eight, God, the best explanation. <laughs> Well, this is when dealing with atheism, of course, yeah. and um, my daughter, who, uh, when she was eight, she asked a question. She'd already been baptized, but she asked a question, and the question was, uh, how do we know that God is true? Now, this is like the apologetics question, right? It's not theology. It's poly- it's a reason for our convictions about God, and I thought for a few moments, and then this this line came into my head, you know, and I realized when I told her this, this really captures my entire approach to my project of making the case for the truth of Christianity and the Christian worldview, and that is what I said to her is, honey, the reason that we believe God is true is because he's the best explanation for the way things are. The reason we believe God is true is he's the best explanation for the way things are. So this goes to the explanatory power of the Christian view of reality. Um, and I had demonstrated this earlier in the conversation we talked about, about the origin of the universe. We all believe the universe came into existence. What's the best explanation? Is it something or no thing? Well, the best explanation is something. That's the smart money. <laughs> okay, and I apply yeah. the concept right. It's so it's so it's straightforward. So and I apply that concept, the best explanation for the way things are, explanatory power to a whole host of things. What best explains um, the, the 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 empty tomb and the apostles who said they saw Jesus and the conversion of Saul of Tarsus? Well, the best explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not the only explanation, but it sure is the best one, all things considered. The best explanation for the shoe prints in the sand is that somebody was walking there. The best explanation for the DNA blueprint on the cell is that somebody wrote, made the blueprint, you know, wrote the code. God did. And there's a whole host of things like that. I just found that it that's the best explanation kind of motif turns out to be the best way to approach a whole bunch of challenges to Christianity. What's nice about it, Bill, is we don't have to prove our view beyond any doubt. We don't have to take that heavy of a burden of proof. We're just asking, hey, what's the smart money? What's the best explanation? Something or nothing? Caused the universe, you know um, that the the and you can apply that to all all the waves caused the caused the footprints or somebody walking there caused the footprints. What makes the most sense? Somebody wrote the code in the DNA, or nobody wrote the code. It all happened by accident. Nobody write that. It doesn't happen like that, you know. So anyway, that's the kind of motif. And if 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 Christians would adopt the approach with others of saying that. Um, that our view is the best explanation, that gives them something to think about. Doesn't mean they're going to believe, obviously, but it lowers the, the the bar even for our level of evidence. We don't have to say no chance that the other person's per view can't possibly be true. All we have to do is say, that ain't the best explanation. That's not the smart money. The smart money is over here and it, with us. And if you want to place your bets, as it were, thinking of... Uh, the uh, the the wager, um, what's his name's wager? Pascal's wager. Yeah, Pascal's wager. If you're going to be smart and rational, you're going to place your bet, as it were, for eternity, right. on the odds on favorite. Right. 
even Greg, when I, I look at your book and somebody says, well, I'm an atheist, your question is, well, what kind of atheists are you? <laughs> right. I don't That's know a start. Yes, Let them talk. It's a great question. Yeah. Yeah. No pressure on me. It buys me time to think. Let's them talk. Yep. Maybe they're a materialist. Maybe not. Maybe they believe in objective morality. Maybe they don't. You know, maybe they believe in some kind of force. Maybe they don't just believe in just the physical universe. I don't know. Let yep. them tell me. But the fact that you're engaging them in discussion and showing respect for their opinion or what they believe, you're, you're creating a platform on which you can have a, a respectful dialogue. Yeah, it's dialogue is the key word there. Yeah. And Paul says, Paul says in Colossians four, verse five and six, he says, uh, "Conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Be smart." He says. Then he says, "Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt." So he says, "Be smart," and then be nice. And then he says, "So that you know how to respond to each person." Mm -hmm. In other words, be smart, be nice but be tactical. And when you ask those questions of an atheist or anyone else, you're drawing them out, get them to talk more and more about their view. Because if their view is false, which is our conviction, we have reasons for thinking that, then they're, the more they talk, the bigger the hole is that they're going to dig for themselves. Yeah. And you'll be able to see it if you have the background information that I offer in Street Smarts. All right, Greg, I want you to rest your voice. How many hours of radio do you have tomorrow? I've got like about... <laughs> About six hours of radio tomorrow, <laughs> about four more the next day. So. All right. Well, be good to yourself, thank you. and thank you so much for spending the time with me. You're welcome, Bill. Anytime. Have a great uh, night of rest, and good luck uh, tomorrow. God bless you. Thanks so much. You bet. You bet. Greg Kokel has been my guest. His book is called Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. You will enjoy this book. That's our show for the day. Thank you for spending time with me. I've loved being with you. And I love that you listen to Faith Radio and that you care about us and you care about me. I tell you, it's the best. Have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.